Welcome to ETF Working Lunch, an ETF.com podcast in partnership with women in ETFs. We get together with some of the smartest women in the biz and we talk shop. I'm Cynthia Murphy from ETF.com, and today I get to catch up with ETF veteran Amrita Nandakumar, president of Vident Investment Advisory, also known as VIA or VIA. Welcome, Amrita. Thank you for having me. I appreciate the invitation. I'm so excited you're here today because we get to dive into the world of ETF sub-advisors, you know, the territory VIA navigates in. Sub-advisors are, are such an interesting and such a critical part to the ETF ecosystem, but I find that we often don't talk much about them. So I'm, I'm excited to dive into the space and, and catch your, your ideas on, on the subject. So I thought, you know, should we just start with the basics? Maybe just go over from your perspective as one of the best known ETF sub-advisors out there. What's the most important role the sub-advisor plays in an ETF? I'm happy to talk about sub-advising all day, so I'm really <laughs> glad you had me on. So let's let's do it. So a sub-advisor's primary responsibility is to provide portfolio management and trading services for an ETF. So this could entail tracking an index as closely as possible, or in the case of an active manager, an active strategy, uh, we would take cues from the strategy's PM in terms of what securities they want to hold, but we would be making the trading decisions and providing tax optimization. And in all cases, uh, we would seek to minimize portfolio trading costs and tracking errors. So these responsibilities have been delegated to us by the ETF issuer. And, and so if I had to just sum up, I guess the most important role that we play, it's, it's definitely the portfolio management and the trading piece. Uh, but you know, a good friend of mine, he likes to say, a good sub-advisor is part guide, part concierge, and all partner. And so I, I think it's so fitting. You know, we try our best to be a partner to ETF sponsors and play a role in the entire life cycle of an ETF. So we work closely with ETF issuers just through their initial strategy ideas, take them through product development and launch. And then after the fund launches, you know, we monitor how it's tracking, its performance, and their spreads. And so... You know, we just have a, a bit of experience, uh, you know, having launched over 50 ETFs or so in the, in the seven years that we've been around. So, you know, we've seen a lot and we try to be proactive in sharing that knowledge and our perspective and, you know, the best practices that we've gained over those years. But not all ETFs have a sub-advisor, right? At least not a third-party one. In the seven years that you guys have been doing this, when and why uh, do you find the ETF issuers, you know, reach out to a, a third party advice, sub advisors and enlist one? Does it come down to, like you said, I love the, the idea of a concierge. Does it come down to expertise across the entire ecosystem of an, of an ETF, all the parts? Or does it come down to very specific niche expertise, say in an asset class? What drives an issuer to seek a third-party sub-advisor? You know, I, I'd say all of the above. And I think that's what makes the the role that we play or the seat that we sit in within the ETF ecosystem such a such a fun and interesting one. So there are a number of reasons um, why issuers or sponsors, they come to us and they, they ask to work with us. You're right. The knowledge absolutely is often uh, the primary reason, just because of the experience and the depth of our team, you know, just certainly bringing a lot of that to the table, that just that combination of, of wanting as much knowledge as possible. A lot of folks, when they come to us, they're just, they're seeking education. And so once they talk to our team, 
um, and they see the kind of experience they have, you know, the kind of funds that they've been able to help launch and continue to support that ends up being very attractive in many cases. Uh, our deep capital markets relationships are also something that uh, a lot of issuers might not appreciate at first blush, but they end up being very grateful for later. Newer issuers tend to spend a lot of time focused on what it takes to be successful in the secondary market. And they sort of, you know, inadvertently can gloss over the importance of, of building relationships with market makers early on. And so that's where we come in because we work to ensure, try our best to ensure that the ETF that's being launched is something that market makers are, are going to be willing to or wanting to trade. And I think one other thing that's worth pointing out is that working with a sub-advisor such as VIA uh, generally does lower the price of entry into the ETF space. And so some issuers, when they come to us, they're at that decision point between whether they should, quote, do it themselves or, or to outsource it. And so, you know, in talking to us, they realize that there's actually quite a bit that goes into building out an ETF-specific uh, trading and operational infrastructure and hiring PMs and traders and operations people who have ETF-specific experience. And so, you know, for an emerging manager, uh, oftentimes it ends up being more cost-effective to work with a sub-advisor such as VIA. But you'd be surprised there are also a lot of larger and more established firms that, that really aren't interested in making that type of investment either. And so there are a number of well-known issuers that we're also fortunate to be able to call our clients, uh, you know, firms and investors probably or soon are running BTS themselves. Hmm. You know, one of the things you said that I, uh, I did know that I, it just caught my attention is just this idea that a lot of ETF newcomers, you know, focus so much on the secondary market and they overlook the importance of the relationships and the primary market or the creation redemption mechanism, which is really the plumbing that makes ETFs what they are. That's kind of interesting. Like, why is that? That is it just an education issue? New folks to the ETF industry don't fully understand the importance of, of that part of, of the whole process or is something else that makes them focus so much on the secondary market and overlook the, the primary market trading? No, I think I, mean, I think you pretty much have it. It's it's just that the secondary market is is much more tangible to newer issuers. It's more visible. They don't get to see the types of transactions that that take place in the primary market. They don't necessarily get to be present for the conversations that you know our portfolio managers are having with market makers as they're talking about baskets, for example. Mm -hmm. And so you're right. A lot of it does end up being the educational piece, and that's where we do a lot of hand holding, just in terms of educating them on how the process works, how it's so beneficial to the way that ETFs operate and just really getting them to appreciate the critical role um, that market makers play and in terms of the, and the importance of the primary market and having a well-functioning primary market and having a primary market that's interested in your fund. Um, that's where we play a really big role in providing that education. And 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 ultimately, it's it's our relationships that, that they're leveraging, right? For a newer issuer, you know, to start building those relationships, they certainly can. Um, but we already have a lot of those relationships in place. And so we can get folks to respond to our, you know, Bloomberg chats or pick up our calls when we when we phone. So th that's what that's why I mentioned earlier, that's one of those things that they hear about at first and they go, oh, okay, that's good. 
but only when they really get to launch process and we get to the early days of, you know, we're, we're about to seed the fund. We're you know, having the first few days of trading. We want to see how the fund does in those first few days in terms of volumes and spreads. That's when they really appreciate um, that we have those good relationships in place. Hmm, interesting. Now, from, from your perspective, you know, as the role of the sub-advisor grows, in the ETF market, we've had some kind of interesting things happen, you know, pretty close to each other. So we had the ETF rule passing through. And then we had the launch of the non-transparent active wrappers or semi-transparent, depending on who you talk to. So there's been a lot of new firms come in. There's been a lot of well-established mutual fund firms now try to come in. So there's different trends going on that basically have meant just a lot of new people coming into the ETF space. So as a sub-advisor in all of that, where is the biggest opportunity for you? Oh, I think uh, I think that's a I think that's a great question. I think for us, it's it's definitely the educational piece because you're right. There's so many changes that have taken place in such a short time, and it just it's it's just made the role that we play so much more important um, in terms of helping people understand what's going on. And so, especially you know when it comes to active managers, just helping them parse through the various options that they can pursue as they think about the path forward and launching their strategy uh, in ETF form. You know, as you, as you pointed out, they could choose their you know their flavored flavor of, of active, transparent, semi-transparent, non-transparent. And you know, for us, it's it's fun. The just the enthusiasm of active managers right now it's exciting, and the the innovation and the creativity that we're seeing from clients and prospects it really does make it fun as we work together to figure out which options uh, make the most sense. And so for us, you know, we'll we'll talk through the pros and cons of deviating away from fully transparent. And so for those managers who believe it's worth pursuing, you know, one of the semi-transparent and non-transparent structures, we'll work with them to figure out which one makes the most sense because we've researched them. We know how each operates and we have good relationships with the sponsors. And so, you know, those, those conversations get pretty sophisticated. You know, we talk about what kind of securities does each does each structure allow? You know, what information is being guarded or shielded, and how exactly? Um, how do optimized creation baskets work? I mean, these are there's just a lot that goes into making these important decisions. So for us, it's it's really been a huge opportunity to play the role of informed expert and and help the client reach the optimal decision for them. This rise in active management that we've seen, I would think that seems like a unique challenge for a sub-advisor because, you know, as we know, success in the active management space is difficult. A lot of times it just rests on the manager name, the manager itself. Do they have a strong following? You know, will people stick with them when performance falters? That kind of stuff. So, for, for the sub-advisor in that space, um, how challenging is it to work through the active managed wrapper as opposed to just an index-based strategy? Or does it not matter to you guys at all? Are you completely you know, passive versus active agnostic? Or is there a difference there? From our perspective, we're agnostic. Whatever people approach us with, 
Um, if we can help them get it done, we'll do it. What's important for us is to ensure that the end product, the, the, the ETF that we've worked with this issuer to design and structure, that it, it looks the way they want it to look, it does what they want it to do, and that it operates the way that it's supposed to. So whether it's, it ends up being fully transparent or non-transparent, or if it's, hey, tracking this incredible index that we've come up with and we're so proud of you know, as the, as the ETF issuer, in, in that respect, our goal is just to do what the client is is seeking to do. And of course, you know, we give them lots of advice along the way. We try to set realistic expectations early on because at the end of the day, we want to see our clients be successful. And so, you know, from the Biden experience, I think um, active management has been a fantastic opportunity for us because there's so much that goes into the product development and launch process for an active fund. And it's really given the portfolio manager is an opportunity to shine uh, by being able to share their their deep knowledge and their experience with our clients. Because when clients come to us, they're looking to be educated. They're looking to be validated and to get the best advice they can. And so it's it's gratifying to see how we earn their trust over the process of, you know, a few conversations where we really get deep in the weeds. You know, we listen, we ask lots of questions, and we really really try to understand exactly what each client is seeking to accomplish and understand what success looks like for them. And so, you know, you, you made a good point about what it takes to be successful in active management. And I'm, I'm really, I'm pleased to say that we, we've seen that firsthand with some of our active clients who were completely new to the ETF space. They, they may have had a falling, they may not have, but they've, they've studied really hard what successful active managers have done in the ETF space, and they've followed that model, right? They've they've started by, you know, even before launch, putting out interesting content, trying to have a voice in the space, something differentiated, adding value through providing a unique perspective. So they they build that following. They're constantly putting out great and timely and actionable content in some cases. Then they're launching a fund. They're doing a really good job of utilizing digital marketing and social media to get the word out. They're finding ways to engage distribution or at least finding ways to engage with with potential clients and, and really building that pipeline. And so we've seen folks literally start with just their seed capital um, and, and, and build themselves up to scale. And so it is really hard. It's it, no doubt. It is, it is really hard, but we, we've seen people do it well. Um, and so I, I don't ever want to scare anybody off from trying to launch their active strategy in ETF form because I'm such a, I'm such a proponent of it. It's just what ETFs have done to democratize investing and now these semi and non-transparent wrappers bringing all these active managers to the table that may not have considered distributing through an ETF for the first time. That's exciting because now investors who may not have had access to the strategies before because they didn't have the investment minimums or the expenses were too high or they didn't have access to the platforms where they could buy those funds or have access to the strategies, they can buy them in ETF form right now. That's incredible. And so I, I, I think it's I think it's fantastic. And and while it is it's hard to differentiate, I think for the folks that are willing to put in the work and have something really unique and interesting to offer to the market, we'll we'll do whatever we can to to help them be successful. And Reed, I'm I'm wondering here, you know, in the advisory space, we hear a lot about you know it's so important for the investor to find the right advisor for them based on investment philosophy and all that good stuff. But it's also just as important for the advisor to find the right client for them so that it's uh, 
a productive relationship and partnership, right? So in the sub-advisor side of the business, how do you know a potential relationship, a potential ETF issuer is the right fit for, for VIA? Or is that not relevant at all? You will take, you can work with anybody under, you know, any kind of ideas. We definitely try to be as open-minded as possible, but there are definitely things that potential clients can do or say or bring to the table that, that make us say, oh, okay, these, these folks, we think that they have the potential to be successful. I think, number one, doing your homework is, is mm-hmm. extremely important. And that's not to say that people can't come to us early on. I mean, in fact, we encourage people to come to us early on. And so we're happy to play the educational piece. But I think a willingness to learn and a willingness to listen is important. I think having a very realistic understanding of what it takes to be successful in the ETF industry, especially now, is, is important. You know, folks who have spent time thinking about what their marketing and distribution strategies are going to look like ahead of time, that, that ends up being a big differentiator for us. Uh, folks who may have a built-in following, as you, as you mentioned earlier, whether it's, whether it's uh, existing clients or they have a following through social media engagement or maybe they have a newsletter or something else or they have access to clients through maybe another, you know, another business unit, let's say that's, that's part of their company, whatever it is, for people to say, hey, I'm launching this fund because we actually already have folks that are going to be interested in investing in day one. That's, that's helpful. That's helpful, right? Because mm-hmm. there was a time when seed capital was just enough. Um, and then there was a time when having lots of seed capital was great and, and, and was just enough to ensure success. But now it's about having the right amount of seed capital from day one, but then also ensuring that the fund is going to trade in those early days. So it's great to be YOA, as our friend Eric Valtunas likes to say. But after you launch, who's going to be buying your fund in those first few days? And we always ask that question. Who do you expect is going to be buying your fund in the first couple of days? couple of weeks and how are you going to raise that first 50 million and then how are you going to raise the next 50 million after that and you know everybody everybody in those early days wants to sell to the RIA channel and unfortunately that's not that's not a good enough or an adequate answer anymore right it's it's got to be a little bit more thought out so we we have clients that are coming to us now that are being very thoughtful about uh, fundraising, you know, they'll, do, they'll, they'll do start doing capital raises and they'll, they'll call us up and they say, well, we already have 25 million committed or we already have 75 million committed. That's, that's, a, that's a big difference. That's a big difference between someone who shows up and says, well, we have a great index and we, we just, we know that there's going to be a lot of interest in it. We're really excited to put it out there for the world. And, and, and I get that enthusiasm. I've definitely been there before. But as you know, you know, ETFs are not field of dreams. If you build it, they don't necessarily come. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so the folks who have really thought about uh, what those first few weeks are going to look like, the first dollars that are going to come into their fund, where that's coming from, uh, I think that for us is really diff- the difference between someone who's going to be successful and someone who's going to struggle. Yeah, the, the old uh, ETFs aren't bought, they're sold, right? <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Which makes it uh, the perfect uh, jump here to I was going to ask you about this new partnership VIA just announced with Flex Distribution, which you know, at first, it doesn't seem like an intuitive partnership, a sub, an ETF sub-advisor, an ETF distribution platform, but uh, it sounds like it's it goes exactly to the heart of the issue that you have to have a, a sales and distribution plan for an ETF to succeed. So tell us a little bit about 
what this partnership, what's the synergy here and what's the opportunity here? Because it seems like a pretty unique opportunity. It definitely is. And we are just, we're so excited about this one. So at, at VIA, we spent a great deal of time thinking about how we can further support our clients in, in their ETF growth and, and their asset raising success. And so we all know, we in the know, uh, mm-hmm. we know that distribution is a crucial part of the recipe for success in ETFs. And so we felt that we had a responsibility or an opportunity to help identify a solution for our clients because a lot of newer issuers, emerging issuers may not have the ability or the resources to train and deploy their own distribution team. And in some cases, that approach doesn't even make a lot of sense, especially if you're, you're starting off early days, you just have a couple of strategies. Does it really make sense for you to hire three or four wholesalers, have them running around trying to raise assets. That's not really an efficient use of time. It's certainly not an efficient use of capital. And so we spent a lot of time just scouring you know, the ETF ecosystem for you know, outsourced distribution partners, just trying to understand what the different offerings were. And when we finally connected with Flex, it just it just seemed like a really natural fit for what they're doing and for what we're doing. And so uh, you're right. Last week it was announced that uh, we've entered into an agreement with Flex Distribution, uh, which would provide uh, external wholesaling and national accounts coverage for the Vitan ETFs. So the other side of the Via business is the Vitan ETFs, mm-hmm. uh, and so Flex will be distributing for those ETFs. And as part of that, Vitan has negotiated for Via's clients to be eligible. Uh, for the same service offering alongside the Vita ETFs. And so I know you hosted uh, Jillian Del Signore mm-hmm. a couple of weeks ago. And so you can imagine uh, how much fun it's been for us to get to know her and her Flex colleagues better uh, and just working through what an optimal partnership could look like between our two firms. And so we put a lot of time, a lot of time and thought into this. And so you know, there, there are just a number of great synergies that come from a partnership of this kind because we bring that portfolio management and trading execution excellence. And we are that really great partner to our clients as they seek to, uh, you know, design and structure and launch their funds. And then Flex can step in and play a really, really critical role in terms of getting the word out, figuring out how to market these funds effectively, what a sound distribution strategy looks like. Because, uh, you know, you know, Jillian's not going to take a one-size-fits-all approach. Now, she's going to be very specific about figuring out how each fund should be distributing what makes the most sense for them in terms of how to position it, who to target, which firms, which clients. She's going to bring that expertise that she's gained from so many years in the ETF distribution space. And I think it's just going to be, uh, I'm just so happy, honestly, that we can bring an actual solution to Via's clients. And it's, it's one that we believe in so much that we're bringing our own ETFs to the table as the anchor ETFs for Flex's first ETF service offering. And so, you know, while our clients would, you know, technically be contracting directly with Flex, uh, you know, we'll be sitting right beside them and working together in, in the best interest of everyone's ETFs. So, yeah, I really think we've done something unique here. The initial feedback has been really positive and, and I'm excited to see what comes out of it. No, it's super exciting. Congrats. Uh, this It's about a universe of what, about 50 ETFs between Vidant ETFs and the ones you guys sub-advise? 
Yes, that's right. Uh, a little, a little shy of that. So I can just take a moment to talk a little bit about, um, you know, our current business. So right now we are sub advising about thirty five U S listed ETFs, seven USITs, a hedge fund, a little over a hundred retail SMA accounts, and collectively that represents about eight billion in assets. And so the funds are offered by about twenty different clients, which range from ETF startups to insurance companies, global asset managers. In terms of asset class, it's it's really the broad range, you know, U.S. international equity, fixed income, real estate, MLPs and commodities, and, and derivatives. And so it's a really fun and interesting and diverse business. Uh, every day looks different for us. And there's always, uh, you know, some new and, and fun challenge on the horizon. You know, for, for 2021, I'd, I, I know personal goal I've set for myself is for us to do something interesting in the crypto space. And so, you know, we have a really great team that can support all of that. And, you know, while I can't promise that we can do every single strategy that someone might approach us with, I can say that we really do, really, really do enjoy working with our clients uh, to understand what they have in mind and how we can help them design something that can, you know, be interesting and differentiated to to the ETF marketplace. Hmm. Well, folks, you heard it here first. Via is ready for crypto. So bring it on. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. That's right. We can't wait. And Rita, before I let you go, I just wanted to quickly touch on diversity in this industry. I know you are passionate about this topic and um, you have some interesting views and experience in this. So, you know, share with us what's what's the passion here and um, what do you think about when you think about diversity in the ETF business? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I would be remiss if I didn't start by talking about women at ETFs. You know, I'm just, I'm so appreciative of it. I'm so proud to be part of it. You know, I, I serve as head of marketing for the New York chapter. And so it's been really fun and rewarding to just support uh, these great events to help people network and learn and expand their knowledge of the opportunities available in the industry. You know, it's just, it's been really fun seeing the expansion of the membership base across geographies, uh, you know, the types of companies that are being represented, and even even the men who have joined, you know, in the New York chapter alone, we have amazing allies such as John Mayer and Chris Hempstead on the board. And, you know, we just really appreciate their support so much. I think where we still have some work to do is in terms of further inclusion of people of color, mm-hmm. um, especially women of color in ETFs. And, you know, this is something that really resonates with me because I do see myself as an outlier in the ETF industry. You know, I'm someone who figured out really early on in their financial services career that I wanted to participate in the ETF industry. And so the second I learned about ETFs, uh, I knew they were a game changer. I wanted to learn everything I could. Uh, you know, I was at Vanguard at the time, and I, I walked into Rick Chidoni's office. Uh, he's the head of uh, ETFs at Lake Mason, but at the time, he's head of ETFs at Vanguard. And I just, I basically begged him to let me join his ETF team, which he did because he's great. And, and I still appreciate that so much. But, you know, I would think about what, what could my career path look like in ETFs? And, and as I would research the, you know, the who's who of people in the ETF industry, it was challenging for me to find someone who looked like me. And that was, that was discouraging, really discouraging. I mean, I'm very fortunate to have had advocacy from, from all corners of the industry by all kinds of people who look past my skin color and my name. Um, and instead, they saw somebody who was excited about ETF, someone who wanted to learn more and work hard uh, and make a positive impact in the industry. But it was definitely discouraging to not see more faces like mine. And, and, it made me wonder back then, 
uh, whether there was space for someone like me in the ETF industry and whether I could actually be successful uh, and make a difference in the industry like I've been wanting to. Mm -hmm. Uh, So now I, I really take it upon myself to be as supportive as possible of those who are coming up in the industry and especially, you know, those that may look a little different or maybe have a name like mine. And if I can be that person that they're looking to as proof that incredible opportunities are available to those who want to work hard and, and they can make a positive impact in the ETF industry. I mean, that nothing would make me happier. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that 100%. And I actually think, you know, as a part of the financial markets world, we're doing pretty well, considering, you know, we have uh, you and me talking on this podcast, you know, <laughs> it's, it's a good start. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's absolutely right. That's absolutely right. It's been really gratifying to see the progress that's been made just, just even over the past decade, in fact. And, and so I'm, I'm just, I'm excited about what the future brings. That's cool. Me too. Well, Amrita, we're going to leave it at there. Thank you so much for joining me today. Oh, it was my pleasure. I've really enjoyed the conversation and I'm, I'm excited to do it again. Thanks folks for listening today. Uh, we're very excited you joined us. For previous podcast episodes, just check out ETF.com. For more information on how to get involved with women in ETFs, please check out womeninetfs.com. On behalf of the ETF.com team, thanks for listening and we will see you next time.